0: Hello, my name is Colin Majack, and this is the Bridgetown Daily for Wednesday, March 10th. Over the last few weeks, I found myself turning and returning to two similar stories in the Bible. One in Exodus 17, and one in Numbers chapter 20. Now, if, if you're familiar with those two chapters of the Bible, you might know these two stories of Moses bringing water out from a rock. The first story goes something like this. People of Israel are in the desert and they've just set up camp at Rephidim. When they arrive, they quickly realize there's just one small problem there is no water in Rephidim. Now, as a large community of people living in the desert in a pre plumbing world, this is a problem. And so people begin stressing out and complaining to Moses, saying, Dude, give us some water to drink. Slight paraphrase, but they ask, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Just so we and our kids and all of our animals can die of thirst? things start to get ugly really quickly. So Moses, likely with a mix between being stressed out and being angry, prays and asks God what to do. And the story picks up in Exodus 17, verse five. It says this, The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Okay, so God tells Moses to take his staff and go over to this large rock and then hit it. And water will come out of that rock so that everyone can drink. And that's exactly what happens. End of story. Now the next story is like it, but with some key differences. In Numbers 20, the story begins similarly. The people are still wandering in the wilderness and come to a place with no water. They complain to Moses again, this time adding an extra note about all of the great food and fruit they had when they were back in Egypt. From there, Moses and Aaron go to the tabernacle, fall before God, and the story picks up in Numbers 20, verse seven, says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, "'Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock. Notice there, speak to the rock, not hit it, not strike it, but speak to it. Talk to it, another way it translates, tell the rock. It says this, speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the communities that they and their livestock can drink. Okay, so similar plan, but this time Moses simply is to speak to the rock. There's no mention here of hitting it, taking the staff and hitting it, anything like that. Verse nine, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community and their livestock drank. Now notice that instead of speaking to the rock, like God told him to, Moses strikes the rock. He hits it, not once, but twice. And then what happens? Water comes out, but, verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Okay, so if you've been following the Bible so far, this is a huge deal. Moses at this point has given the greater part of his life to the deliverance of God's people and leading them toward the promised land. He's been God's right-hand guy, so to speak. He's the only person that God is described as talking to face to face. And yet after all of this, God says to him, yeah, Mo, you won't be leading the people in. They'll go into the promised land. And because of this, you won't be going with them you won't be there to see it. Imagine the frustration, the grief, the the confusion. Why did this matter so much to God? Why this kind of severe response? At first I wondered if it was the contempt that Moses feels for the people. Notice how he leads with, listen here, you rebels. You can kind of feel his anger and judgment towards them. Maybe like he's looking down his nose at them. And maybe that's part of it, but it doesn't seem like the whole picture. Then I thought, well, maybe it's how presumptuous Moses is, how he takes credit. Notice how he says, Must we bring you water out of this rock? He acts like he's the one bringing the water out, as if he has this unique power to pull water from a rock in the desert. This is arrogance at best and a God complex at worst. I think that gets closer to the problem, but I think the heart of the problem lies within the action itself. When God said, Speak to the rock, Moses, struck it. Not once, but twice. Where God told him to use his words, Moses used force. Remember God's words, because you did not trust in me. In other words, when God invited Moses to trust, Moses exerted power and control. And therein lies the problem. Moses traded trust for control. And in so doing, forfeited what God desired for him. And we have to have empathy on Moses. When I think about the first story, it's already a huge step of faith to believe that if you take a stick and you hit a rock, water's gonna come out gushing of that rock. It doesn't take much knowledge of science. You know, that's not normal. And yet Moses does it. But in the second story, God asks for more trust than that. It's as if God is saying, okay, Moses, you saw what I could do when you exerted some effort, when you took a swing at the rock and I brought out water, but this time I want you to do something even more daring. Instead of hitting the rock, just speak to it. Use only your words, bring the staff with you, but instead of hitting the rock and getting the same results as last time, I want you to trust me enough just to speak. And the tragedy is that Moses doesn't. I imagine that nagging doubt of, this is crazy. Water isn't just going to jump out of the rock because I give it a nice talk surely it takes a little muscle. I can do something about this. I can take this into my own hands. And it is that temptation to take things into our own hands, which so often chokes out a life of trust. Control and trust are at odds with one another. And trust is the only currency in which God works. If something is an activity of God, so often it's subtle, it's gentle, it's it's not cunning, and it invites our trust. We don't have to make it happen. And so the story shows us how the work of God, it cannot be forced, it can't be muscled or controlled, at least not in the truest sense. I mean, God might meet us at that level once upon a time, like he did with Moses in Exodus. Or perhaps more tragically, we might even try to take things in our own hands and find we actually do get the outcome we predicted. We might be faced with a fear, a shortage, some sort of lack. And like Moses, we might exert control over the situation, and the waters might come out from the rock, so to speak. But in the end, we miss out on what we actually want. The life with God and from God that we actually crave is lost. And that is because God does not work by force. If something has to be forced, it's not from God. God does not work by control. If something needs to be controlled, it likely is not from God. There's no doors to be shoved open, no paths to force our way through, and no rocks to strike. This God works in our lives through quiet and gentle trust. Again, control and trust are different forms of currency. And trust is the currency in which God actually works. And so when faced with any difficulty, the temptation for us will be to seize control. If we can just get this person to do this thing or get this event to go this way or shed ourselves in the right light here, then it'll all work out, then we'll be safe. And if we don't do these things, if I, if I don't throw my effort behind it, if I don't work hard to bend every possible factor to my favor, my life won't work out. We fear that if we do not control our lives, we'll end up thirsty. If we don't look out for ourselves, who will? And it's this fear that animates so much of our need for control. And yet, a turn towards control is a turn away from trust. And thus, a turn away from God and what God is doing in our lives. We forfeit his vision for our lives when we become preoccupied with taking matters into our own hands, even in doing things that are, quote, for God. We run the the risk of missing God entirely if we move forward without trust. And so, for us, the invitation of God is to trust, to look back on the kindness He's shown, the ways in which He has been faithful and provided for us up until now, and based on that, to trust, to relinquish control and striving to actually hold out the belief that God is at work on our behalf, that he'll act, that he's for us, that we won't end up thirsty. The promised land is only entered through trust. With that, let's take a moment to pray. You might find you want to grab a journal and just take a moment to reflect on this. But in a posture of prayer, I want us to ask Jesus three, three simple questions. In your mind, ask Jesus, Jesus, what am I afraid of? Maybe another way to ask that is, where am I afraid I'll be thirsty or lacking? Take a minute to ask him that. Next, ask Jesus to show you, Jesus, what am I trying to force or take control of? What factor of my life or parts of my life am I trying to just bend all into the right direction so it'll work out for me? Another way to ask is what rocks am I trying to hit? Ask him to show you that. And finally, just a simple ask, Jesus, what would it look like for me to trust you? Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, we confess our fear and our need for control. So often we try to manipulate and control every aspect of our lives, believing that no one is really looking out for us. Would you have mercy on our fears? Free us from the need for control and open us up piece by piece to trust you with the whole of our lives. Amen. Go in peace.